Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 22, For the Cause, teleplay by Ronald D. Moore and directed by James L. Conway. For the Cause aired on May 6, 1996. This week on Deep Space Nine, Cisco suspects that Cassidy Yates may be a Maquis smuggler. Garrick takes an interest in Zial. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to say that we received an email this week from a listener named Zane, and it made me cry. <laughs> um, me too. Yeah. So I'm going to read some of it, but it, it was like very heartwarming for us. Good afternoon. Or morning or night in whatever time zone you are. I just wanted to thank you to for an excellent podcast and <clears throat> that I've really enjoyed. Without sounding too much like too much of a sob story or like an Eeyore, I have been in the hospital for most of the past few years. Um not gonna go into the, the details of all of that, but they go on to say, in between all the monotony of waiting for physical therapy and way too many blood panels being drawn, I have spent my time watching Deep Space Nine. I often listen to your podcast after watching an episode and finding it interesting and helpful to see perspectives that I often would not come up with on my own. For whatever it's worth, you two have been incredibly helpful in keeping me sane during my convalescence. Thank you again, and I apologize if this reads too much like a oh, woe is me story. I promise you it does not, Zane. Um, Happy New Year's, and I hope you had a great time with whatever holidays you choose to observe or not choose to observe during the season. Thank you so much, Zane. Um, Yeah, that was really, like, if no one else listens, like, it's, this is worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to, like, get too much into how it makes me feel because we have to record a podcast. Yeah. Um, But it's just, like... It's a fun, silly little thing we do, and again, like it's not. As yeah, I just I, th- I thought I didn't I didn't realize that people we didn't know listened. Like I knew it was like a possibility, yeah. but uh, I knew a few. Yeah, but no. yeah, this this is really wonderful. Yeah. And um. And yeah, we just hope that you. Uh, th- Thank you so much for for emailing Zane, and we wish you the best for for twenty twenty four, and yes. hope that your um, rehab journey kind of continues. And you know, thanks for thanks for listening. Yes, thank you so much. All right, so Elise, we'll start this episode um, the way we start most of our episodes. Did you or did you not remember season four, episode twenty two, the cause? So I did remember the A plot with Cassidy and Eddington and all of that, but I didn't remember that it was the same episode as the Garrick Zeal B plot because that B plot isn't really much of a plot in my opinion. It's just a little bit like, oh, they they're curious about each other. So for the most part, yes, I would say that I did remember. Um, uh before we were doing like you know just talking about like musicals or whatever before (laughs) the b plot is definitely like the phil collins song from um tarzan strangers like me i wanna know can you show me i got a feeling but these strangers like me 
don't know that. <laughs> I don't think know that I've seen that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe. like not a straight up, like Phil Collins just did all the music for it and sings it all. So right. it's not like the characters are singing. Right, except right. Rosie, Don- Rosie O'Donnell plays like one of the gorilla besties oh, and fun. has one song where she's trash in the camp and she does get to <laughs> sing a bit because originally when they signed on, it was going to be like a straight up musical. And so right. she was excited to sing in a Disney movie. But yeah, there was that like weird period of time where like Disney had like one actor doing the voice and then another actor doing the like singing voice or I like, guess singer doing the singing voice. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little bit more like the actor does the singing now for the most part. Having um, unfortunately seen the the Little Mermaid uh remake (laughs) (laughs) anyway sorry i just can't get over that horrible aquafina song that's in that movie i mean she didn't write it (laughs) i cannot blaming her but it's just not good oh and the little mermaid yeah it's like you know she plays she voices scuttle she's scuttle right and they have a song called scuttle but like in the sense of like what's the gossip and it's just really corny and i hate it well you know who like alan Menken, of course did the the who yes. wrote did the original did mm-hmm. was the musician the ashman's lyricist you know who wrote that with alan Menken all the new songs oh yeah 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 when man yeah Mel- that's miranda yeah who I can't which just stands. which just <laughs> it just it just fits um, it does i really i really like he irks me so so heavily that being said have you seen tick tick boom no, I haven't yet, which I do need to because, but I've been postponing because I'm sad that I'm going to get in my Jonathan Larson feels and I'm not prepared. Andrew Garfield is so good. So, so my good dad, my parents are going to see um, a version of that locally oh, really? this season. Yeah, that's one of their seasonal shows this season. I don't know. They have like a membership to one of the local theaters and that's one of the shows that they're putting on nice yeah does your like local like theater chain get the like you know actors from like the city who aren't quite good enough to like get parts um in new york so they end up having to work in not your, really in new jersey no, no actually a lot of the actors that we do see on the stage have been on broadway already oh nice they're yeah. just like touring or whatever they're, like, they're touring, touring or they're or? just doing different oh, okay. things um we saw I, I recently went to see the play having our say which my mom was supposed to go to, but she she was out of the country. So I went with my dad and, and our friends. And um, that actually was a play that was on Broadway in the 90s, and they've revived it. But both act- at least one of the actors had been, like, on television and stuff, too. I, it wasn't someone I knew, but they'd had, like, a pretty long um, filmography. Um, no, that's, like, just looking up how do you say the last name. Um, and on the opposite note of that, a lot of the play, the smaller plays in New Jersey, there's a few theaters in New Jersey that get plays that are eventually Broadway. So like they find them at the these smaller show like playhouses in New Jersey too. There's like a few of those. Yeah, yeah that's like um when I 
saw Hades Town, and this was before it opened on Broadway. They were doing like a, you know, one of those runs where they they figure shit out. Yeah, my parents saw Come From Away in previews before it opened publicly. Yeah, and uh, TV TV Capario, who plays Prudence in Across the Universe, was uh, Eurydice. So oh, that's exciting. But yeah, we got. Now I'm gonna sing Dear Prudence. Not to our um, listeners. <laughs> Hermes changed, but yeah, but we still um Reed was was Orpheus and um I can't remember the guy who was the original. Um Hades it was him, Persephone was the same. But yeah. Eurydice changed. All right, Star Trek. So You remembered the plots, but not in the same episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do like this episode a lot, even though part of it frustrates me. Um, we do see that Cisco sometimes spends the rules for his loved ones, um, which I think is interesting. Like, I don't think he's doing that the whole time, but at least like at the be- when it was going to hold Cassidy up for her one delivery. Um, I have a lot of feelings about Garrick and Zial that are more like counter arguments to other people's feelings on <laughs> Garrick and Zial more than like me actually having an opinion on them. Um yeah. I do find it interesting that like her dad hates Garrick and I find that to be kind of interesting. Um a good fun dynamic. Um yeah. I will also say this is the second of three Zial actors that we've had. <laughs> um this one this one whose name I forgot to write down. Um I know her from a very, very, very melodramatic arc on season four of Beverly Hills 90210. She played a character. So so season four of 90210, they're freshmen in college. Um, So they're meeting new people, like, et cetera, et cetera. So she is like an act uh, on campus, like drama student similar to Brenda and they're like in competition for the lead role in the play and Brenda gets it. So this girl is like Which is exactly why we were talking about musicals earlier. Yes. Yes, we yeah. should uh, bring that around. Yeah. But the funny well, part it together. is like because it's 90210, they made her like a little like ban- cuckoo bananas in how she reacts to not getting the part. Um in like a so, very like sexist way where it's like okay obviously like not every woman would just like go off the top and like act like a maniac um if they didn't I don't know have you role. met theater kids? Yeah, that's fair. It's giving Rachel Berry from <laughs> Um yeah, it's it's like more sad girl manipulative than than that kind of performance, you know what I mean? Mm, dark like edge woe is me kid. like um stuff so i was hamlet (laughs) one thing i found really interesting when i was looking up um information about this episode was that mark um garrett o'connell who was the person that had come up with the story for this episode originally was inspired by the oklahoma city bombing in the previous year from when this came out 1985 basically everyone when that happened you know and this is true even today. Like we have a ten, we as a society. I don't mean me and Matt have a, t- a tendency to be like, oh, there's a terrorist thing that happened. It was probably a brown person that did it. Like that is a very normal, unfortunately normal feeling that people have, which is fucked up and 
also statistically untrue. <laughs> um, so when the person that did the bombing was Timothy McVeigh, a white American, everyone was like supposedly shocked. I mean, I was an early teenager, so I vaguely like I don't remember um, the conversations about that. Um, I think that was my bat mitzvah year. But so basically they wanted to have a similar thing where like we have this terrorist plot and it turns out it's like our white friend Michael Eddington that really did it, not um a foreigner. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's the even idea of like making editing um a member of the Maquis, I think is like actually super interesting and like it's it's an I really like this episode. Um Maybe more having just come through like the run of episodes like the Muse, yeah, which we like the had last just few seen have not before. Super, super um, exciting for us. Yeah, because when I think of like great DS9 episodes, this isn't one I normally think of, but I really liked it. I think probably just coming yeah. out of the, the run we've had. Yeah. Um, Let's put it this just, way. The... I did not postpone watching it a second time. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this again because I often watch it like the morning that we record. And there's been times where like, I don't watch it a second time. Yeah, and I I'm just, good. But this time I was like, okay. And I got through it like with taking notes and like, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. Like it, it wasn't like a long winded project. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's kind of funny anecdotally how they decided to make the writers decided to make Eddington a marquee because the like, you know, I guess the like what would have been the online communities at the times and, you know, whatever the nineties forums and, you know, things like that. They all had Eddington pegged as a changeling, as like a changeling oh, infiltrator. Really? That's funny. Um and so when the writers became aware of that during the off season or whatever, um they're like, Well, we're definitely not making him a changeling now and so yeah, they landed on on Maquis, so it even gives like extra like heft and weight, you know, going back to those other episodes where Cisco's having that conversation with Eddington about, you know, the weight of, you know, the big chair and, you know, Eddington's like, well, you don't get to get there with the gold shoulders and all of that stuff. Like, it's like, how long has he been working for the Maquis? Yeah. Like it just, he wasn't very forthcoming in, um, in and about any of it which i found interesting too he was like i'll tell you more about this next time at the end yeah Um, when they originally were doing the story for this um there were going to be like three separate but connected maquis stories not not just two so like you know obviously we have cassidy and then we have eddington so they were counting those as two separate you know parts of the story and i am Mm -hmm. counting it all as one um, because they line up so so well. But they ended up... Oh, they were originally going to have a third story where the Klingons had started arming the Maquis, but they decided um, not to have that. I think that would have been a little much, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. I just mean much for one, one episode. episode. Yeah, I don't yeah, mean yeah, like yeah, much yeah. Like, no. in the grand scheme. I just, yeah. The idea of the Klingons being the United States and the Maquis being, you know, the Mahajuddin and, you know, I can, I can see, like, that's an interesting and, and very kind of Star Trek element, but you lose the, like, human drama elements, and I think that's what works really strongly for me with the editing and especially the the Cassidy and Ben stuff mm-hmm. is it's it's a plotty episode, but it's not 
just like it's it's more interested in and rooted in character which is i think something ds9 does does really well for sure before we get too far into the maquis um storyline did you want to just talk about garrick and zial real quick I mean, you may not have anything to say about that because you didn't put any notes in, so I have no idea. Yeah, well, okay. So, hmm. I'm just trying to decide how much, like, outside pod discourse we want to Well, well to I mean, I don't think that we need to say much more than... Well, I don't know that we agree. I have no idea if you agree with what I'm yeah. going to say, but all I'm going to say is that these people are aliens and they're in a different world than us and even if they were in our world zial is 20 years old and that is not a child and so there's a lot of age discourse around these two um there's a lot of age discourse around pairings in all forms of media and it's i can't i can't no i'm here i'm just putting my thoughts together i just can't make myself be upset about it like She's 20. Yeah. She can make up her own mind about who she wants to spend time with. We don't know even how Cardassians age. Like, we don't know how um, old Garrick is supposed yeah, to be because we yeah. know that they pay fast and loose with character ages and yeah. actors' ages. Even going back to season mm-hmm. one with, um, oh, what was his name? The Biter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What was that guy? I forget what that guy's name was. It started with an R, I think. Anyways, Rotan? I don't remember. Maybe. That sounds vaguely familiar. I mean, I think about it with regard to Kess in Voyager um, as well, because, like, she was, like, two years old, but her species only lives till eight. So, like, people are weird about her and Neelix. And I'm just like, okay, I'll be weird about Kess because I don't really like her, but not because of her relationship (laughs) choice. (laughs) Um, It's interesting that you bring up the Kess and Neelix thing, because I, again, ultimately respectfully for me like life's too short who cares yes um, that's a TV kind of show. how i feel as well in in universe i do i have less of a you know i see it a little bit less with garrick and zial because they don't really have the same sort of like caretakery elements um and like power dynamic that like Neelix and, and right. Kes have. He's never it's not um, like oh my god, this reminds me of this couple that is on Bolo Deck that episode the season that Lazie and I just watched, where like the guy worked for her parents and they dated and like he knew her when she was young. Like that feels more like Neelix and Kess. Yeah. Yeah. Um like, I'm not saying like that they're comparable, but I feel like the, the way But they're not talk, not, right? Yeah. Like, there are age... on TV at this point. Yeah, right? and there are age discourses about both things um, as well. Yeah, and like I think like it's one of those things where like two things can be true true at once. Where it's like it's a different world, different you know, it's different alien species, blah blah blah. blah. You mm-hmm. can like kind of accept it or not care on that. But then there is the very real kind of production standpoint where it's like, yeah, how often like in a movie is the is the in like a cishet couple in a movie where the the woman is 20 years old and it's like a mid 50s early 60s pierce brosnan is bond or you know roger moore is bond sort of like combo, <laughs> roger moore right? is such a like, good example because he's just like 
ancient for the whole time yeah. he's Bond. Yeah, I, I said and Pierce because I, I, I went there first, but Roger yeah. Moore's the better example. And I should say I absolutely love Roger Moore's Bond, so I can't, I'm not criticizing. But yeah, he's just like old the whole well, time. There is that one, well, and for, a- for your eyes only, he does not fuck uh, BB, so that's great. Yeah, but I agree. And it makes a whole point of that where he's like uncomfortable because she's so young. But like actors ages. um, Oh, what's what's the the archaeologist, the bond, the main bond girl, the one who's supposed to be Greek with the crossbow. What's her name? The in three eyes only. Oh, the main um, one. The, the sh- uh, what's her name? The daughter of the archaeologist who's digging for the or looking for the sunken ship marion ravenwood um <laughs> yeah but no um <laughs> sorry i'm just gonna look it up no you're fine i'm looking me. it up too i just oh i forgot topals in this one. Oh, oh yeah she's like okay carol bouquet melina 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 so she's actually to bring it back she's in bring it back to my brain she's in an episode of sex in the city she's mr big's Next. ex-wife <laughs> um the actress who plays Melina Havelock is only, I think, like two or three years older than the actress who played BB. So mm. it's funny that they're like doing the like, oh, this is funny. She's too young. He doesn't want to be a predator. But then, you know, it's just Hollywood, right? I'm sorry. I think I lied to you. I think that she played the Russians, um, Alexander Petrovsky, who was played by um, the, what's it called? He was, she was, uh, it was, uh, the actor Mikhail Baryshnikov's ex-wife. Sorry. The dancer. Yeah. Not important. I just needed to correct my incorrect facts. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's even worse. Oh, tell me. (laughs) Lynn Holly Johnson, who plays BB, was born in 58. Carol Bokut, Bokut, who plays Melina Havelock was born in 57 so bb's actually older <laughs> the act i mean again it's actors versus character age no but, that's funny you know yeah yeah hmm. wilds um away from the age discourse which we i think we just almost had to mention because it's a thing that's out there um well and i think people also just hate to see garrick hanging out with someone who isn't bashir but <laughs> my my also hot take, sorry, before we go into this, I just kind of want to talk about age discourse or whatever. Yeah. I don't necessarily know in my eyes if I read Zial and Garrick as romantic. That's totally fair. I think everyone in the episode is reading it that way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But like, and it's something we'll watch for as we go to see how I feel this time. But yeah. it's like, it's like I used to work... A hundred years ago, one of our staff members was like literally C-3PO, like bitter old queen, a middle-aged queen. And like his best friend at work was our like early to mid-20s, one of our other salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. And like they're still friends, good, good, good friends to this day. So it's like middle-aged, like sassy gay and like early 20s, like friendship, like you can read it that yeah. way. That's how I choose to read it. That's fair. And, and like, the whole time Garrick is saying it's not a date. Like, other people are telling him it's a date. Quark is telling him yeah. it's a date because it's a man and a woman hangout. How many times have you and I hung out and it's not been a date? Like, that's a possibility. <laughs> it completely is. Um, 
I do think it makes sense to me that they are the only two Cardassians on the station so that they would be drawn to each other. Um, I think that everyone is a little harsh on Garrick uh, for his motives. Julian and then Nana. Oh, sorry, I said Nana. But, um, oh, she was in an episode of Matlock my mom was watching earlier. Na, na, um, na, na, but na, Kira. Because she's never heard that before. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> But yeah, like Kira also is like extremely suspect of Garrick. And um, I just feel like they just are interested in getting to know each other and being in each other's company because as of now, they're the same species. And that is species feels weird to say for like a humanoid. Um, but like they're, you know, they have similar roots, I guess I'll say. Um, and they go to the sauna together, and that was nice because the station's probably very cold for them. I don't know that it was a sauna. It was probably just, like, a hollow sweet program, but still. Well, yeah, it was a, it was a hollow sweet program of a Cardassian sauna. Yeah, but it seemed fun. They weren't naked or anything. No, totally. And I liked how uh, your boy Quark kind of handled that <laughs> where he's getting his, his fitting, and then... Kira comes in and gets overly aggressive with Garrick and like he's just like oh, you know, doesn't make a big deal about it yeah I do think it was really funny that Garrick was worried that maybe Zial would try to kill him and then as soon as <laughs> as soon as yeah. um Kira was like threatening him not to spend time with her he was like oh I feel like if I, there was a plot to kill me she wouldn't have said that and I'm like okay but what if she didn't know about the plot to kill you <laughs> But um, in any case, it was a very fun bit of like Garrick being a little opposite world and spy craft and reasoning, and it was fun. I mean, you don't be in his former line of work and survive as <laughs> long as he has former. without <laughs> without uh, a healthy bit of suspicion, right? Exactly. Exactly. I don't really have anything else to say about those two. But we'll keep an eye on it as it goes on. As we go on. And maybe Julian's being harsh because he's jealous. That's entirely fair. Um, <laughs> it was still a little mean. Queers are messy. That's Especially true. the bisexuals. <laughs> I was trying to think of a um, transition from that to the Maki plot, but I didn't have one. From the gays being dramatic to the straights being dramatic. <laughs> I don't know. That's a bad segue. <laughs> we don't know any. But yeah, we have some. We have a. We have some some politics. We have some some shipping. We have yeah. not that kind of shipping. Ship, real shipping. <laughs> Not that the other shipping's real. Oh no, I'm getting cancelled. Oh no. Um so just to give a quick oh, no, like no, blur no, no, no. that's a little bit um more explanatory than the um the one we gave at the top of the episode. The Federation has agreed to give the Cardassians the twelve class four replicators because the Klingons have destroyed a lot of their infrastructure. These are replicators that are stronger than ones that can make food and clothes like they could actually make some sort of like 
Yeah, they're like industrial replicators. Yeah, they're industrial strength uh, replicators. (laughs) Um, And Cisco's worried about the Maquis reaction to this shipment of replicators. And Eddington says, I think there are some more Maquis bases in the Badlands. And Worf points out that um, with, with... the card uh with the Cardassian military not there, the Maquis might actually have enough like power to get rid of the Cardassians like from the DMZ. And so Cisco says, Okay, well, while this thing is going to happen, this transfer of the replicators, which are it's gonna happen through Deep Space Nine, um, we'll ramp up security and Worf should go patrol the Badlands on the in the Defiant and kind of like spy on everyone in that area and see what's going on. Is it a Romulan plot? Is it a ploy to start a war? <laughs> so right before the theme break, um, Odo and Eddington stay back to tell Cisco they think Cassidy is smuggling for the Maquis. It's a lot of conjecture. I do they they're the main um proof I use that word very loosely um because I don't think it's proof um is that her normal run should take 12 hours but it's taking her six and that's enough time for her to like go pop to the Badlands before she drops off her normal um cargo. There's a lot to say in this plot regarding um, conflict of interest, (laughs) I should say. Um, You know, we all know that Cassidy and Ben have been together. They've been dating. They have a very... The episode starts with them in bed together. I know. And that that was delightful. I absolutely loved it. Um, I do feel like he... I feel like Ben treats the situation differently than he would if it was a different person because Odo asks if he can upgrade surveillance on Cassidy and Ben goes on this whole speech about privacy and I've never fucking heard the word privacy mentioned like in a Star Trek ever (laughs) I mean I'm exaggerating but like that's not something that gets talked about I mean we did have it let me rephrase that. We did have it in the episode where they were testing everyone's blood back on Earth. Like, there was some privacy chat there. Um, but in general, like, they use privacy when it fits the plot, I I feel like. I also found it interesting and frustrating the ways where Cisco's like, well... Cassidy has rights. We can't just, you know, wiretap her phone and like fucking Watergate this shit. And then Eddington's like, well, she's Maquis. She's rejected her Federation citizenship and she doesn't (laughs) Doesn't have the rights of a Federation citizen. I'm like, that's not how it works. No, like you don't have to be a citizen of the United States to still like legally have to follow the laws of the United States. Like that's, that is how it works. (laughs) Yeah, like it's, I mean, it's, uh, no, I found yeah. that interesting and like frustrating. And it's like the way the way the show treats the Maki is just like, I don't like it, but also it just rings so true. Yeah. And it's just like, you left our club. So fuck you. Yeah. Like, it's like the people that when someone says that they want to defund the police or like, I don't think there should be police. And someone says, well, like, I hope something horrible happens to you because then you won't have any protections. Like, it's very feels very much of that, like, 
nasty um yeah attitude or like if someone that lives in texas where if it's really cold and then the like power company like you know does something oh well you voted for those people so like it's very it's very cold and inhumane way to talk about people yeah um you have a note here which you didn't say but i agree with it i do think ben should have recused himself from from pretty much all of this but um then we wouldn't have had an episode so no i I know i it's just like yeah um so one thing so there is a part where i mentioned it briefly earlier where you know odo is like Oh, I'm sorry. Where Cassidy is going to get inspected, but she's running late, and and Cisco basically tells Odo just let her go. I feel like if it was a different person, that's the thing where I th- feel like if it was a different person, he would have gone on with the inspection. Maybe, maybe not. But also, he has them followed with the Defiant cloaked. Yeah, which. I'm also like, remember how the Defiance cloaking device was only to be used in the Gamma Quadrant because it was on loan from the Robulans? Yep. I guess they never took it back and everyone's just like, fuck it. We don't care about the, the rules. We'll just break the Treaty of Algernon whenever we want. Um, but the Romulans are like, um, we'd like our cloaking device pack back, please. And then <laughs> the Federation just leaves them on red. <laughs> So, while they are cloaked and spying on Cassidy's uh, ship, they see her beam cargo over to a Maki freighter. And even right before that happens, I think one of my favorite conversations in the episode, and not just because it's Worf being almost comedically shitty again, um, when they're when they're like doing the stakeout before the, the shit goes down, they're O'Brien, Worf, and Eddington are, are having a conversation. It starts with O'Brien and Worf about the Maquis. And O'Brien's kind of based. He's like... I still don't unlike, understand say, what based means. Don't explain it to me, but keep going and I'll get there eventually. <laughs> no, he's like, he gets it. He's like, he understands why the Maquis exist. And like... Oh, Yeah. If Almost anyone could would call the Maquis sympathizer. If a anyone bit would, there, it would be our union man. <laughs> I feel like. Well, totally, and that's like, you know, and I mean, maybe it's also rooted a little bit in his racism against the Cardassians. Um, but from a meta perspective, and for I don't want to go too too far down this rabbit hole, but I just I wonder how much of that was Colm just being Irish. But um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That, from a meta perspective, did did stand out for me. And then Wars being super shitty, like, they are terrorists. We must kill terrorists. Well, blah, 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 he's blah. like the most black and white person of all time. To be a terrorist would be dishonorable, which is also funny to me, because, like, literally before I watched the ep- rewatched the episode yesterday, I wa- it was... I watched the episode on January 6th, so I had to <laughs> Insurrection. Um, and so it's funny, because from a certain point of view... Worf's like a Maquis in that episode, so it's just like, okay. Worf just does whatever Picard tells him. Is that the only Picard reason why it's him. funny? Because <laughs> that's not why I'm laughing. Well, because I watched it Insurrection on January 6th. Yeah, yes, that, was a that is very funny. Um, yeah. 
I also hadn't watched it since I got Letterboxd, so oh, I wanted it. to like log it, and then I guess I have to rewatch Nemesis because you know in your all time stats, it has the like yeah, the completed series or collections. Yeah, I'm sorry um, that you have to watch Nemesis. Yeah, me too. Me <clears throat> too. So you, I didn't think about this until I read um, your notes on here, but. Ben is becoming increasingly suspicious of Cassidy, and because they're in a relationship, it's really hard for him to watch, like... Sorry, let me rephrase that. Ben is becoming suspicious of Cassidy more throughout the episode, and since they're in a relationship, for me, it's really hard to watch him not come out and just ask her what he wants to ask her. Like, he's waiting for Odo and Eddington to catch her in the act, and it just feels really disingenuous, especially since, like... She's kissing on him and everything. It just feels like he's lying to her. That being said, it's probably the legal thing that he has to do. Um, or, like, not the legal thing, but, like, it's probably the, the best way for them to, I guess, get a case against her. I don't I don't really know. But... Well, he's not actively, like, investigating her, at least. So it's not like, you know, those cops in England who, like, did, you know, had Rome, who, like were undercover in romances and like had sex with like no, I know. you know anti-globalists and things oh, like that it just was uncomfortable for me to watch like him like her kissing him and him just like not being forthcoming with him with her that's all i mean i think it's supposed to be but, yeah like, no i didn't also I, the episode sorry go ahead no i agree it, it was intentional and like the episode we like you know ben's like our our pov character right but very easily there's a a version of the show called star trek maquis where <laughs> it's just as uncomfortable for cassidy right yeah in like a spy versus spy kind of way like they're trying to figure yeah. each other out so it's like it like that's the whole like tension for me is like they're both going through the motions and then yeah. like especially like when uh Right before she finally gets caught, and he appears to her, is like, let's run away to Riza, blah, 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 because she's doing another run so soon. It's like they both know what they're talking about. Yes, that, right? Yes, 100%. Like, that's when she's like, shit, he knows, right? Yeah, and he's like, let your first officer handle that. Like, he, he basically is like, your ship can still do its job. I just don't want you to get in trouble, is basically what he's saying to her. Yeah. Um, and it's, Oh, yeah. So after after that scene is when things kind of start to fall into place a little bit more of like what's really going on. Um, he was Eddington was going to go and monitor Cassie and Cassie Cassidy and Cisco was going to be there for the um, the replicator trade off. And Ed- Eddington is like insisting on being there for the replicator handoff because he's like i'm the starfleet security officer this is our main priority that this goes well um and so cisco agrees and it becomes very clear to odo that the whole point of this was that cassidy cassidy's new delivery is really just getting cisco to the to the the area which the whole point is to get Cisco away from the station so that Eddington can steal these uh, replicators. Yeah. Um, Eddington gives the station the weirdest instructions ever, like no comms in or out for like hours. Like that seems so shady to me. And I'm like, how 
is no one how is everyone falling from this <laughs> was the only part of the episode that like was very silly to me well it, it like and it kind of ties in though when they ask uh, eddington how he feels about the maquis he's like i i i'm just following orders if starfleet wants me to hunt the maquis i'll hunt the maquis if starfleet wants me to help them i'll help them i go where i'm told i'm just following orders my opinion is irrelevant it's like so it's definitely kind of that attitude and like they know him and they're comfortable with him and they know that, yeah. you know, getting these industrial strength replicators to Cardassia is, is important. Right. So it's like, let's keep it on the down low. And it's just like strategically it's, it's, it's kind of smart for how they, you know, distract Cisco and just the whole station. Right. With the oh, whole like, yeah. Cassidy I just meant, hunt. Yeah. And they totally like sacrifice her and her crew. Oh yeah. To get completely. the replicators. Yeah, completely. And I just want to reiterate that the part that's weird to me is the like, no comms for a few hours. Not yeah. like the, not the overall plot. Like it makes a lot of sense how they did this. And Eddington is knows, knew his place and he was very convincing to Cisco and Cisco trusted him. And, he was able to get what he wanted to hijack the shipment. What do you think about the end where Cassidy comes back to like face the music? Like in a lot of ways she kind of had to because when they realize like Cisco like lets her go um cuz they realize that the jig is up and that they've, you know, been been distracted and the replicators and you know they've been double crossed and everything else, right? Um but that's where the relationship and the connection comes into play, right? Yeah. And, like, she drops her crew off at a Maki colony, and then just she comes back to face the music. Yeah. So one thing I was trying to understand in the episode, did they kind of set her up by, like, telling her that by having her bring, like, medical supplies or something like that? Because she didn't so know I the think whole plot been... either. Yeah. No, 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 no. She didn't. I Like, my... My read was um, she normally wouldn't do another run that quickly, but that was when they were setting her up, right? Right. But in in the beginning, she was just bringing medical supplies to the Maquis. She wasn't like yeah. giving them weapons or anything like that, which I feel makes me have a lot of um, feelings that she's not really doing anything that's that terrible. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of what you think of the Maquis, I mean, there are definitely revolutions that need arms, um, but I think bringing people medical supplies is actually pretty uh, honorable. Well, and it just also, like, speaks to how shitty the Federation is, and, like, they're, like, not even interested in doing any kind of humanitarian work to try and, exactly. like, open negotiations or win them over. It's just, like, we're going to be over there and we're going to hunt you, fuck you guys. Yeah, right? I mean, like, if they... cut off all sort of aid to the, the yeah. colonies, like... Especially yeah. if they do have that virus she says that they have. Like, they need medication. I don't know if that part was real, but... I mean, I think she thought it was real. Yeah, yep, yep. I think this was one of the best episodes in a while that we've had. Yeah, like hard time is 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 good. It's just heavy, you know. It is, like, and I but I think there's a a few more things in this within this episode that they're like to talk about also. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, now it's time for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. 
possibly being a reference to Alta from Altair 4 and Forbidden Planet, first mentioned in the context of Star Trek in Star Trek 3 with Altair Water, um, ordered by Dr. McCoy. And uh, Elise, who are you thirsting for this week? Before I answer, I just want to say that every time you mention the Forbidden Planet part of the intro to this section, I laugh and smile and I'm so happy because I know I made you put that in, made you say that. <laughs> I mean, you put it in the notes, so I it's know. like, guys. I feel like go I fuck could get, yourself, San Diego. I, I bet I can like put some random shit in here to get Matt to say next time. We'll, we'll the see. Human Torch was denied a bank loan. Yeah, I'm just I'm just straight up Ron Burgundy here when I'm I'm switching segments. That's fair. Um, cool. So in the opening scene, we have that like lovely moment where ben is not letting cassie get out of bed um it was very hot but it also reminded me of a scene that would be in like a later season nine is to an l or melrose place that's complimentary um and then he sniffs the pillow after she leaves like yeah heart. and then he uses it he trades pillows so he used the one she was I sleeping know, on. it's super so cute it's adorable i love it i love everything about it I thought that was cute. I don't know if I was like thirsting for that moment. I don't know if I had anything. I mean, like... I'm grasping at straws here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, I did have a candidate, possibly for most Star Trek thing. I mean, other than Worf being super shitty, I guess I could pick <laughs> that one. Um, especially in the context of Deep Space Nine. Um, Worf needs to start but... boning soon. He's like too grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Tragic ending to a Star Trek romance? Question mark. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. But uh, main main characters aren't allowed to have extended romances, right? And the, which is amazing that this one has lasted beyond one episode. <laughs> right. Oh, so. oh God, I just thought of that, like the the woman with the dreams. Anyway, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Second sight. Yeah. yeah Thank yeah. you. Did you have a candidate for most Star Trek thing? Not really. Um, I do think that this is more of a DS9 thing because a lot of epis- a lot of things that happen in the other series are very much like one-offs. But just the fact that it's mm-hmm. like, okay, the Maquis fight's getting more personal because um, Eddington is, is now involved. That is feels like a yeah. very specific Deep Space Nine thing. Like, we're going to like go further into this plot rather than never talk about it again. And that may be a spoiler, but I don't care. Well, Elise, until next time, where can folks find more of you on the internet? You can find me on Blue Sky, Letterbox, and Storygraph at Chicken Tendi. That's T-E-N-D-I. You can find my other podcast, Fang Bangers Pod, on Blue Sky and Instagram at Fang Bangers Pod. That's bangers with a Z or Z, as well as anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah, and you can catch me on Blue Sky and Letterbox at, at Maddie Hugh, M A T T Y H U G H. You can catch us together on Blue Sky and Instagram at Podrace, and you can also email us at podrace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.